the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to the Sleeper and the Bus Memorial Day. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by the rock kicker himself once again, Rotographs contributor Howard Bender. And today we'll be de- debuting the Kicking Rocks Challenge and talking about a pair of youngsters. And first we are going to talk about the most interesting player alive today, C.C. Sabathia with another disappointing outing. Seven runs and seven innings and another two home runs. Howard, what is going on with Sabathia? Is he somebody at this point where fantasy owners should consider selling low? Um, you, you know, you, you can't really sell a guy like Sabathia right now. I mean, you're talking about completely getting, uh, you know, an undervalue on, on your return. Five cents um, on the dollar? Yeah, you're probably getting about that right now. I mean, that's a... If you you can get a dime, that is a good deal. Go out and get a dime for that dollar. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the the biggest issue right now. I mean, he's, he's so bad that you can't even trade on his name. I mean, there are, there are tons of guys out there that can sit there and go through struggles, and you'll still be able to trade on their name and get back something solid on, in the return. But Sabathia is having so many issues, and I mean, he looked – it wasn't so that he looked so bad today, but I mean, he's just – he's having command issues. He's not locating his fastball at all. Um, the velocity's down. So, I mean, these are all – I mean, let's face it. In our world, you know, these are all red flags just popping up left and right that, you know, it's – you can't sell on it. Yeah, well, if anything is good, if you look at his velocity trend in the pitch FX velocity chart, it is increasing. Uh, you know, he started off from his first couple of starts, he was averaging like 89, and uh, the last couple of starts it was above 90. So that is a positive. Swinging strike rate, same as it always has been, first strike rate, is actually at the second highest of his career. Zone percentage is also pretty high. So all of those advanced metrics. Contact percentage looking good. All of those metrics look pretty good. And to be honest, he actually looks like somebody who might be a decent buy low. Because obviously there's reason for concern because of the velocity decline. So I'm sure his owner is panicking. I'm an owner in one league and it sucks. <laughs> but, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, just because it's CC Sabathia... You have to assume, I mean, Felix Fernandez, Justin Verlander, uh, well, Verlander's been shaking his recent outings, but there are a whole bunch of top flight pitchers who have dealt with velocity loss this year, and even last year, Felix Fernandez's velocity was down last year as well, and they have all been totally fine, and so you'd think with Sabathia's secondary pitches and just his ability, I guess his pitch ability, I don't like that word, but I'm going to use that word anyway, it seems like he could be, he is one of those that if... There was somebody that was going to lose velocity and still succeed. I feel like Sabathia is one of those guys that he could still succeed. So if anything, you will be able to get him at a discount given his start and his low velocity. I think he is worth a you know an attempt at a buy somewhat low. But what what I mean, what would you pay for him? I mean, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw like a 
you know, uh, some player within that range. Patrick Corbin. Really what you think Travis he's worth. Wood. Uh, Travis Wood, Patrick Corbin. <laughs> uh, uh, Irvin Santana. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you asked that. And <laughs> because I, I actually want to transition into the would you rather game. Uh, some of these guys, I think it might be obvious who you would rather, but there's another guy who might not be so obvious. The first guy I want to throw at you, and, and you don't even know these names, because originally we were going to talk about Mike Miner as the most interesting player alive, but he's no longer that interesting, uh, because that start from last night faded away, and everybody wants to check out in Sabathia. So would you rather CC Sabathia or Matt Latost for the rest of the season? Huh, yeah, that is a, a, an interesting That's duo. a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it I is. And, you know, I mean, at, at this point in time right now, I mean, I, I wow, that, that that's a tough one. But I would probably go with Latos right now. Um, you know, I just I, I like what he's doing. I'm I'm just I'm concerned about Sabathia as a uh, as somebody who's you know watched a bu- I've watched a bunch of his starts this year. Um, you know, I've just looked at the way he's pitching. Will he turn it around? Possibly, but I mean. You're, you're talking about him improving on on numbers right now that are very unsabathia like. So so you're not really getting CC Sabathia. You're getting some sort of like bizarre world Sabathia. So you know you're going to get a little bit of an improvement. But I mean I love the you know what's going on with the Reds right now. I do like Latos. I think that Latos has great stuff. I do think that his numbers look good. Um, you know they're they're both you know. As far as the the parks that they pitch in, they both suck. As far as you know, pitchers' parks versus hitters' parks. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with Latos. I think right, so. You know I I don't blame you on that, and I'm sure most fantasy owners would would go with Latos as well. But and I actually did not pick Latos for the reasons I'm about to mention. But these pitchers actually, even though the perception is that Latos has pitched much better, these pitchers are very very similar this year. After today's outing, their ex FIPS and their Sierra marks for uh, Sabathia and uh, Latos, they're both very similar. Strikeout and walk rate very similar. And Latos himself is actually seeing uh, a velocity decline. And his fastball velocity has declined every single year since he debuted in 2009. So Latos obviously hasn't really been affected. And so I feel like maybe it would be unfair to say that Sabathia can't rebound because of the velocity decline, but think that Lesos can keep it up, even though he's dealing with a velocity issue. So I would actually take uh, Sabathia, just given his history and the fact that, you know, their Sierras are actually quite similar. But here's another one that might be a little easier. Sabathia or Matt Harvey? Um, it, it, I guess in that case right there, I would probably go with Sabathia. Based, huh, based on experience, um, if if we you know if we're to assume that Sabathia is going to write the ship somewhat and maybe not as much, uh, you know, I, I have a very hard time with a lot of these young starters. I mean, I love what Harvey's doing, and Harvey's numbers look fantastic. Uh, is Harvey going to be able to pitch throughout the entire season? Is he going to be as effective in mid to late August as he has been? Uh, now and actually, I think in, in his last start, uh, we've seen him not slip a little, but you know, just come back to earth a little bit more uh, from from those first few starts where he was just I mean, it was just amazing lights out. So I always I'm I'm actually much more of a fan of proven talent over uh, high rookie upside. 
All right, I'm going to completely agree with you there. I worry about a potential innings cap. I mean, is Matt Harvey really going to throw 200 innings? I don't know. Uh, the Mets offense really isn't that great, so the wins might not be there. And, uh, you know, in the past, he has always shown, you know, so-so control. Certainly not the type of control, the, the great control he has shown so far. So you just worry that that might regress as the season wears on and, and, and hitters get a second look against him. All right, last one, which I think is a very interesting comparison. Sabathia or Cole Hamels, who amazingly is now 1-8 on the season. Yeah, but Cole's actually turned it around in the last couple of starts. If you look at his numbers for his last three outings, and it's really kind of funny. Maybe I'm just saying this because I bought low on Hamels uh, and and just picked him up for these last few starts. So, uh, you know, I think he's definitely – I think he's riding the ship a little bit more. Um, in truth, I haven't looked at what his Sierra or his XFIP are, uh, but I do know that he is – he is definitely a much better pitcher than what his current numbers indicate. As far as record goes, I mean, listen, Cliff Lee, I mean, at what point in, in last season did Cliff Lee get his first win? So, I mean, you know, record-wise, record, record wise, I mean, wins are arbitrary. A guy could go out there and pitch eight, eight shutout innings and still not get the win because his bullpen sucks. So, uh, so I'm not worried about the record. What I'm looking at more is uh, is whether or not he's going to improve those ratios, whether he's going to maintain a strong strikeout rate and – you know, I, I happen to like Hamels uh, a little bit more than, than Sabathia in that sense. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we don't analyze the record and, you know, use that as an evaluator of how a guy is pitched. But it does suggest that the Phillies offense just has not been good this year. And and you, now with Utley out, uh, I mean, you can't really imagine it getting that much better for the rest of the year. So Michael Young, baby, Michael uh, Young. He's the be-all, end-all. Yeah, Michael Young, I'm sure, will be their offensive savior for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> a juggernaut. So are you? I, I didn't get that. Are you taking Hamels or Sabathia in that comparison? I'm taking Hamels. All right. Uh, I think I might give the slight edge to Sabathia just for that win potential. In terms of ratio for the rest of the year, I think I would prefer Hamels just because I think he'll be fine. I mean, he's really just had control issues in April, but in May he's basically been fine. So... I think just based on the wins, although that's pretty stupid, uh, you know what, I'm going to go Hamels. Just just a, a last second. It's really that close, though, between those two. So. Yeah, exactly. I definitely I, I agree. And I think that you know, it's the same thing with uh, with wavering on, on Sabathia Latos. I mean, yeah. you're talking about two proven pitchers that, that, that do really well that are just, you know, they're, they're just struggling right now for a variety of reasons. And, I mean – I mean, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a million dollars or a million dollars and one penny? Uh, of course a million dollars and one penny. Come on now. That's so obvious. <laughs> All right. What if, what if that penny is tails up and it's on the floor and you have to pick it up? I'm a Jew. I always pick up pennies. Come on. <laughs> that's what we do okay i, I want to get to our kicking rocks challenge you have no idea what this kicking rocks challenge is it popped into my head the other day i am going to present to you <laughs> looking forward to what's popping up in yeah. your head on a I'm random present to you a scenario you have to tell me what's worse than this because i know you are the king of complaining and everything bad in fantasy league so you, you have to be able to come up with something worse than this because i can't come up with anything worse so howard Mr. Kicking Rocks, what is worse than your closer blowing your starting pitcher's win so you lose out on both a win and a save? Is there anything worse than that? 
Is there anything worse than your own closer blowing your own win? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How about your your starter goes out there and gets blown out of the water, and then your the team comes back, takes him off the hook for the loss, and then your closer blows up even worse at the end there. But you I mean, would never no. But you were never in line for the win there. Okay. How about this? How about your 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 starter goes five innings, gives up seven runs, but. Your team's offense scored 10 runs, so he was in line for a cheap win, and then the closer blows it. How about that? And and you want to know if there's something worse? Yes. How about the uh, how about the guy who hits the the game winning hit gets there because your guy struck out the at bat before and blew it for you there. The guy gets the game winning hit. The guy before that was actually your guy, and he strikes out and gives the other guy the opportunity to win the game. Yeah, so now you've, now you've not good. lost your win, you've yeah. blown your save, and you just took an offer in your offense. <laughs> now we're just combining like five different bad things happening in one scenario. Because I, you know why? Because no matter how bad your fantasy team is, it can, it get can worse. always get worse. <laughs> That's such a pessimistic view. Oh my god! It can I always be you. worse. I, I, you know, I, I knew that you are a rock kicker extraordinaire, but I think I may have underestimated you. There is no half full. It is always half empty. Howard Bender, you go to eleven. <laughs> it's because of these armadillos in my trousers. Are, wow! I don't even want to get into that. All Spinal right. Final tap. I, <laughs> Uh, is that from Spinal Tap 2? Because I don't ever remember that. They're sitting at the diner, and, and you've got poor Nigel sitting there saying, they're, they're afraid of us because we've got armadillos in our trousers. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad, very glad that you picked up on the Spinal Tap reference that you go to 11. Unfortunately, I'm clearly not as much of an expert on that script as you are. <laughs> and on that note, let's get to the first youngster that I hinted at we would be discussing, Kevin Gaussman, who made his debut uh, a couple of days ago. And, you know, in some respects it went well, in other respects it did not. Um, what do you make of this kid? Is he a 12-team mixed league starter, or is he somebody that should be left for deeper and AL-only leagues? Um, I mean, at this point right now, I mean, sheer talent-wise – He's somebody that you have to pick up. I mean, if you have the opportunity, it's a 12-team mixed league. If you have the opportunity to pick him up because you have dead weight on your bench, then then so be it. I mean, I'm personally, uh, you know, again, it's one of those situations like uh, like when Singrani came up. I mean, if his talent is that immense, uh, then, then you kind of have to give him a shot. But really, what kind of staying power is he going to have? How's he going to look through the, you know, the next round through the league? I mean, Gaussman hasn't pitched above double A uh, at all, so... You know, for this to be his, you know, his first outing, I know Jose Fernandez has done it earlier this year and, and has actually looked a little better in his last few outings. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I didn't rush out to grab Gaussman. I, I do like him. I do think that he's got great talent. Um, maybe it's the stigma of pitching for the Orioles and, and seeing, you know, guys like Arietta, Mattis, uh, Zach Britton, uh, you know, Chris Tillman, all these youngsters that that really, for the most part, you know, came up with a tremendous amount of hype and, and did absolutely nothing in their first few years for the Orioles. So, you know, I definitely think that he's got some skills. I think he needs uh, I think he needs a lot more experience to hone them before, 
you know, we really put our faith into him. Yeah, tough ballpark, tough division, not a pitch at the AAA level. Heck, his entire minor league experience is like 60 innings. That's it. So it's it's really difficult to get a grasp on what you could expect. I mean, the good news is he averaged 96.5 miles an hour with his fastball. That's freaking good. That's Actually, that I think leads all of baseball. I think that Strasburg is a little below that. I think he's only averaging like 95.8 or something. And and so that would lead all of baseball, which is – or Jose Fernandez might be up there as well. I don't know. They're, they're, they're close. But that would either be second or leading all of baseball. Um, so that's exciting. That's one of the positives. Uh, I mean, I would have liked to have seen, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen the Orioles bring up Gaussman the way the uh, the way the White Sox brought up Sale in his first year when they drafted him and he didn't have any experience at all. You throw him in the bullpen, you let him throw as hard as he can, uh, and just kind of get his feet wet and and check out what major league hitters look like. You know, from from that perspective, but to to have him go out there and, and expect him to get five, six, you know, even possibly seven innings uh, with the, his level of experience, no matter how talented you are. I mean, there's a certain amount of, uh, I guess, uh, starstruck uh, behavior that you're going to have when you're standing up there on the mound. So I think putting him in more of a relief situation would have probably been a little bit more ideal for his first outing. Yeah, that's possible. You know, I always talk about avoiding hitters who skip AAA, jump right from AA. I will never take a chance on those type of hitters. Just anecdotally, it seems like there are a lot more busts when you skip AAA. I don't really have a problem with it, skipping AAA for pitchers, though. Uh, if you dominate AA, Lincecum, for example, was a, a recent example. I'm sure there are a whole other a host of others that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But skipping AAA is not a big deal as a pitcher, I think. You could be fine. Uh, we just don't have a whole lot of data to look at for Gaussman. I mean, do you actually think he will last in the rotation all season long? I mean, it's not like the Orioles have a whole lot of great alternative, which is why they turned to Gaussman to begin with. No, I know. You know, Miguel Gonzalez will be back. I mean, he only had a uh, – it, it was an oblique issue. So uh, the, the way they were talking, he wasn't going to be lost for very long. Uh, I mean, it really kind of depends. <laughs> as funny as this is, we're talking about, you know, this hot, young, up-and-coming pitcher, and I think that so much of his ability to stick in the rotation right now hinges on an old-timer like Freddie Garcia, who's sitting there in the number five slot for the Orioles, and whether or not he can actually just be serviceable. He doesn't have to be lights out. He doesn't have to be, you know, the Freddie Garcia of 1998 that we all knew and loved. But, uh, you know, I definitely think that uh, – that, that if Garcia can just be manageable, uh, then I think the Orioles have enough offensive power that they can, you know, tolerate that and give Gaussman a, a little bit more time in the minors to to hone his craft. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't love Gaussman this year in, in mixed leagues. He's a fly ball guy in a hitter's park in a tough division, so I think it'll be tough for him to generate any value in a mixed league. Obviously, in an AL only. Any pitcher with a pulse, you got to take a chance on. Uh, 15-team mix, you know, NFBC, Tout Wars, Labor. Yeah, I sure, give it a go. Yeah, I think I would take a chance on him just because the the waiver wire is pretty barren and there's nobody that has the type of potential that Gaussman has. You know, he'll, he'll get some strikeouts as well, and uh, he's definitely worth taking a chance on, but I don't I don't love him. Um, I'm expecting more like a maybe a 410, 420, 4 ERA or so with a decent strikeout rate, which, again, could have some value depending on how deep your league is. 
All right, let's get an update on a guy that both of us really liked but has been quite the disappointment once again, and that's D. Gordon out in Los Angeles. And I feel like they might not even wait for Hanley to return, and, and you know, any day now we're going to find out that he's been demoted back to the minors. Yeah, you know, I, actually I'm not so sure. I think that there's so much animosity running through that, that clubhouse right now that – that if D just keeps a low profile, keeps his head down, I think Mattingly might just kind of skip over him. Yeah, I mean, don't look at me. I'm not the problem here. Right, exactly. Everybody just keep pointing to Matt Kemp. Keep pointing to Kemp and you'll be fine. Um, yeah, he's he's killing me. He really is. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what to say other than the fact that, I mean, I've looked at his numbers and, and his, you know, I mean, his plate discipline isn't terrible. He's got a solid walk rate. Um I, I definitely a low batting average on balls in play. I, I, the fact that his fly ball rate is really where it's at right now tells me that he's getting under it. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, of like Willie Mays Hayes. You know, I, I feel like every time that that D Gordon pops one up, he should do you know fifty push ups for me right there in the batter's box. My issue is is that I just can't be confident that the Dodgers organization is going to be patient enough with him. If you told me you guaranteed D Gordon will be up with the Dodgers. All season long, he's going to hold on to the starting shortstop job, and I knew it. I'd say buy low on this guy. His line drive rate, 29%, meaning that his bad bit right now has been unlucky. Uh, he's Actually, his swinging strike rate is really good, suggesting that his strikeout rate is going to come way up. Or actually, it's strikeout rate, so it's going to come down, making excellent contact. So he looks like a quite a good buy low candidate. I just worry that he's not going to get the opportunity to get out of this funk because if Hanley comes back within a couple of weeks, Gordon might just get sent down. I mean, but the good thing is, is that there's, there's really nobody else up there that, that, I mean, Luis Cruz is dealing with an elbow issue I mean, he's not very good. I mean, he's not strong. I mean, who are you looking at that really is going to, you know, is going to stand out on that team that could really replace him? Well, the same guys that were up there before he was called up, you had that, Awesome group of, you got Jerry Hairston, Juan Uribe, Luis Cruz, Mark Ellis at second base. That's your motley crew of uh, infielders that the Dodgers think will bring them a, a, a winning of the Western Division. And uh, that's probably not going to happen. So You know, had, had you said bring back Justin Sellers, then I, I probably would have oh, been okay. About Justin Sellers. They got Justin Sellers, too. So who's, who's actually who's tearing it up at AAA right now, which is totally cool. There but you go. every other infielder that you just named right there is dog crap. Exactly. Dog crap. Uribe. I mean, listen, not Ellis. And leave Ellis over at second base. He's not going to be an issue. Um, I actually, I think he, he slots in nicely as a number two hitter on that team. But, I mean, uh, talking about Uribe and Cruz, I mean, those guys are garbage. They're, they're garbage. It's true, obviously. Um, but with D. Gordon's defense, he doesn't play good defense at shortstop. I, obviously, there's no guarantee he's going to stay up until Hanley gets back. Uh, and then when Hanley returns, of course, who knows what they're going to do. So it's, it's very hard to recommend buying him low. Again, if I knew he was going to stay up, buy low all the way. I still like him. But you just don't know what the Dodgers are going to do because, I mean, Mattingly is probably in the hot seat right now. And so if they bring in a new manager, who knows what he's going to do. I mean, you may see him move D. Gordon to the top of the lineup or keep him hitting eighth or bench him. I, I don't know. They should bring Tom Gordon in to manage. Yeah. <laughs> 
Then, yeah, then the uh, the, play, the manager's son will... Right, kid, kid always plays better when his dad's watching, right? Yeah, and then, you know, he would be guaranteed to be playing every day. So that would be a very <laughs> good thing. Nothing wrong with a little nepotism, just for my fantasy purposes. Absolutely. All right, let's move along to Milwaukee, where uh, the, the chaos in the bullpen does not, for the first time, revolve around John Axford. But this time, it's Jim Henderson who's out with a hamstring in- injury. And initially... Um, they were saying that it's going to be a committee, but I don't really believe that. So is it a committee or is it going to be Francisco Rodriguez or what? No, I think we're looking at Francisco Rodriguez. I think, you know, I mean, if push comes to shove and Ron Renicki needs to, uh, you know, throw in a lefty, he'll, he'll, he might turn to Mike Gonzalez every now and again. Who, who, by the way, I love it how he's now Michael Gonzalez. Like that, oh, that's so fancy, you're Michael Gonzalez. <laughs> he used to be Mike Gonzalez, and suddenly he's Michael Gonzalez. And that just bothers me because I'm Mike, and the only people that call me Michael are my family. And it's just, it's like when Jamie Shields went to James Shield. It's like, come on, you're Jamie. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, Howie Kendrick, Howard Kendrick. Yeah, what is this formalization of names? <laughs> right, it. and is it Mike or is it Giancarlo? Somebody oh, tell I, me. Gian, y'all, you know what? But Giancarlo is a very cool name. So it is. Uh, it is. All right, but let's get back. Let's talk about Jimmy Henderson uh, clutching his hamstring. <laughs> James Henderson. <laughs> um, so Franny Rodriguez, I think, actually takes over as the closer there. Um, I do think that they'll play matchups with Gonzalez uh, every now and again when they need a lefty. But but Renicky also said he's he said he likes what they're doing with Axford right now. He thinks that Axford is working much better in in low pressure situations. Uh, actually, turned around and said I, I read it in the in the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal that that he's not going to go with uh, with Axford for save purposes. So um, I, I don't really know who else you're going to turn to as far as a committee goes. You've got. Rodriguez and you've got Gonzalez. I don't really see anybody else in that bullpen really being that strong of an option in the ninth. Yeah, completely agree. I picked up Rodriguez in, in two leagues of mine. One of them, Axford, was also picked up, and I'm like, ha ha, you picked the wrong guy. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if there's like a left, a couple of lefties up, uh, Michael Gonzalez will probably come in, and then if there's a righty up, maybe he'll come out, and then Francisco Rodriguez will get the one-out save, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be K-Rod that's going to do it. I mean, obviously, he's got the experience. He's not great anymore, but I think he's solid enough. I think he had some bad luck last year, um, but he should be decent enough to hold down the job until Henderson comes back, and then Henderson is uh, is, is going to be able to get the job back and uh, hopefully continue to be dominant. All right, let's move along to a pair of injury returnees in the next couple of weeks. Brandon Beachy is expected to come back from Tommy John surgery, and Colby Lewis is going to be coming back from a torn flexor tendon in his right elbow. Are any of these two guys guys that you think fantasy owners should stash? I mean, obviously not every league is the same with the number of DL spots, but even if you have DL spots, personally, I don't think I would bother with them in 12-team mixed leagues. Would you? No, I you know I'm not really a huge fan of 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 the the draft and stash on on the DL because I mean let's face it you're also dealing with the fact that that so many other guys are popping up and down on your DL that I mean to take away that spot on your bench I mean especially in a 12 team mixed 
Um, you don't know how these guys are going to perform coming back. I mean, maybe they struggle. Maybe they don't struggle. Maybe they, they have one good outing and, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they crap it up the rest of the way. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of, of getting rid of, especially with the fact that pitching is so deep um, and it, it, it's always a deep position to, to sit there and say that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hold this spot for Beachy or for Lewis uh, and just kind of, you know, bank on them being, you know, people are basically holding them and banking on them being what they were before the injury. And I just think that that's completely unrealistic. So, no, I, I don't think that I would. Uh, I, I haven't even, you know, I have I've passed up on stashing any of these guys. Yeah, I don't know why everybody is so into Brandon Beachy this year. First of all, we're not really sure exactly what he would give us, even if he were completely healthy, because his strikeout rate was way down uh, his second year. Uh, and we couldn't be sure what exactly we, we would be getting. Now he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. We know Tommy John surgery returnees struggle with control early on, so I can't imagine him actually earning any value uh, this year. Maybe he'll be a sleeper next year. His velocity will probably be back up next year. His control will be better. I mean, remember Adam Wainwright last year had a very bad first half, and his velocity was down. And then his velocity creeped up. He was much better in the second half. And now he's fantastic again. That might be what happens to Brandon Beachy. Unfortunately, the first half is actually the second half of this year. And then it's the end of the season. So you're just going to get bad stats from Beachy. And Kobe Lewis right now is actually throwing some rehab games. And his velocity, he's in the mid-80s. And uh, so unless his velocity uh, increases in a hurry, I mean, he's going to be worthless. But... He's coming back from an, an elbow injury. It's not Tommy John, so it doesn't seem like it was at, as bad as tough of a recovery. So I think if Lewis's velocity does rebound, I think he has a much better chance to have value than Brandon Beachy does. You agree? Yeah, no, I would agree with that statement, absolutely. I mean, if, if it does return, if he starts looking a little sharper in his rehab outings. But I know he also just came off of a setback, too. Um, you know, again, it's just it's one of those situations where – you have all this, uh, you know, I mean, especially if you're talking about a 12-team league. You've got an abundance of pitching sitting on your waiver wire. Um, how, you know, how is it that you're so confident in a guy who's been on the shelf for so long that, that you would take that shot? I just, I, I, I just don't think I would do it. I, I don't like it. Yeah, you know what? I'm actually wondering, when Beachy returns, where would he even get into the rotation? They have Tim Hudson. Obviously not going anywhere. Chris Medlin, obviously not. Mahalam, Mike Miner, Julio Tehran has been has pitched fantastically recently. Obviously, none of these guys are going to be removed from the rotation. So I don't know what they're going to do with Beachy because I, I mean, unless they trade Tim Hudson or or, or trade somebody, I, I just don't see how they do that. They're not going to go to a six man rotation, I'm sure. So I'm not really sure what they're going to do. No, I, I have no idea. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where, I mean, I, you know, I, I see the Braves contending for the World Series title this year. I mean, and, and so why would you upset that apple cart? I know Hudson's not pitching as well as, you know, as, as we'd like to see him pitch. But, you know, and, and maybe Mahalam is actually pitching a little bit over his head. But, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about two strong veteran presences, you know, that, that are probably having a really nice effect on guys like Minor and, and Tehran. Uh, so no, I mean, I, I wouldn't upset the apple cart. I don't know. Maybe they take Beachy and they, they throw him into more of a long relief and kind of ease him in there. Uh, you know, when somebody goes down after, you know, if Hudson struggles after four innings, 
then you you know you throw Beachy in there for three and let him get some work in. Maybe that would be uh you know just a better way to bring him along than to just you know try and jam him back into the rotation. Absolutely. And before we wrap things up, you mentioned don't upset the apple cart. Brilliant motto. I think that should be your new slogan. I don't know what you would use it on, but maybe <laughs> maybe create some T-shirts with an apple cart saying "Don't upset the apple cart." I have never heard that before. And and why would you ever want to upset an apple cart? Apples are delicious and healthy. <laughs> yeah, I really. I, I mean, I wish I had some sort of a witty retort for you on that one, Mike. But I really don't. <laughs> You're. Um, that, that's what happens when you get to be my age. You start grasping at all of these old phrases that you know you used to use when, or that you heard your grandfather use back in the day. And I'm just trying to bring them all back. So, well, it's much appreciated here. Always bring the humor and the cleverness. And that's actually going to do it for us tonight on a Memorial Day edition. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper and the Bust for the Rock Kicker Howard Bender. I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.